welcome to the show. Great to be with you today. Paul George in studio with the world famous Deacon Adam Conk. What's up? You say that as if it's true, you know, <laughs> the world famous. Well, I often find what I speak does come into fruition. You're on your way. I'm on my way. I mean, you're the most famous deacon in studio today. I'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. Great to be with you guys today. Thanks for listening to the show on the podcast or on the radio, KLFT Radio. Here in Acadiana, Christmas is coming up. We're still, you know, in the middle of Advent, but it's coming down the pipe, man. Christmas is here. It's very, very close, and uh, I love this time of year, especially because at my new church parish in St. Martinville, they went all out with the lights this year. Oh, good for and them. And it is uh, it is a winter wonderland at night um, after the Feast of St. Lucy. Now it's all lit up, and so some of the best Christmas lights are when you drive through these small country towns, and then and all of a sudden you're just like, man, bro, you got some nice electricity around here. <laughs> I mean, the, the lights are out. It's like they do it big time. So anyway, welcome to the show. Actually, we got a big surprise today on the show, which is kind of cool. You and I, Adam, never, rarely anymore do guests on the show, mm-hmm. right? Because it's kind of like we reserve the seat for the guests. It's got to be like the, the cream of the crop, the prime. That's right. And so we just don't have guests often, you know, <laughs> uh, much less guests in person. Because if we do have a guest, it's someone who calls in or whatever. And because we plan the show so far in advance, mm-hmm. we never have guests. And so, (laughs) anyway, uh, we actually have a guest today, a good friend of ours uh, from Louisiana, lives out in California, works for Catholic Answers, a great apologist and speaker, Um, but he's a farm-raised boy right here in Louisiana, and he's home doing a parish mission over Advent, which is cool, so he's in studio with us, Carlo Broussard. Hey, hey, hey. Comment ça va, Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good to see you guys. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you. I mean, this uh, studio is no stranger to you. You've been here many times mm-hmm. um, over the years, and that's been such a blessing because you hit the big time over at Catholic Answers. Um, <laughs> but around here, that, well, but. you know, around here, this is a big deal. Uh, Louisiana, Katiana sent um, a full-time apologist to Catholic Answers, doing great work all over the country, writing great stuff. Um, we're all very proud of you. Thank but you. we also like how you come back and do missions. Well, I like we it, get too, to because you. I get to come and see mom and dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And get some good mama cooking. Yeah, you must see miss my the, good friends. You must miss the food a little bit. You, I do, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> I kind of enjoy my pants fitting now, you know. <laughs> Every time I come home for a mission and... I eat the etouffee and the gumbo. My suit pants get a little tight, and my button popped off the other day. Yeah, you're, you're out in California eating avocado wraps <laughs> your whole life. You come here, you have gumbo and etouffee and jambalaya, you know. Yeah. That doesn't fit in a wrap, bro. No, it doesn't. You know, so, uh, no, it doesn't. Anyway, it's great to have you here. I'm glad you're in studio with us today. So we're going to do the whole show, all three of us. But uh, Carlo works for Catholic Answers. Some of you guys are familiar with that, EWTN. And, and here on the radio station here at KLFT, um, uh, airs the show, Catholic Answers Live. Sometimes you might hear Carlo on that show uh, as he's a guest on that show, you know, four to six times, you know, a month. And then he travels and speaks as an apologist all over conferences, uh, missions, and whatnot. And so you've probably heard of him. Carlo, you got, I think, four books out, or you're working on your fourth or fifth. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, three, three books now published, and then the fourth book will be published, come out spring of 22. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're and just going to jump in the show with us, man. You're just going to have to like, <laughs> you grab a rope and hang on. Does that yes, sound sir. good? Yes, do it, man. All right. So we uh, we usually do this segment called "Have You Seen?" Adam, you have some. Did you say that is so interesting? Oh, for real though. Well, going off of the theme <laughs> Carlo just mentioned, um, have you seen up in Maine that? Apparently, humans aren't the only one who are impacted by the pandemic. Really? They're finding that the squirrel population in Maine is overweight. Oh, really? <laughs> because that's, of the that's pandemic. That's nutty. It is. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, but according to the Associated Press, many squirrels are eating well this fall in New England because mm. of the different circumstances. And there's one in particular... That has caught the attention of the neighborhood, okay. and they, he has the name Fatty McFatterson, is wow. what they call him. The wow. alpha of the yard, it says. <laughs> the alpha of the yard. Um, so anyway, the uh, he's ba-ba-boom, describing <laughs> how big he is. That's the phrase. So anyway, you know, COVID affects a lot of people, but also apparently squirrels up in up in Maine. But I, haven't, so, I haven't heard that. You know, Carlo was mentioning about eating the good food down in Louisiana. There was, you know, sort of this, you know, thing going around over the pandemic and over the, you know, the stay at home and all that, yeah. that people were gaining weight, right. you know, because they were at home just eating, you know, and I can't <laughs> say that that wasn't true for us either in our own home. But squirrels and animals depressed over the pandemic, huh? Just it yeah. affects us all. It's yeah. true. And if you don't think uh, this is true, look up Fatty McFatterson, the squirrel, and you will see, I promise you, the biggest squirrel you've ever seen <laughs> in your life. Poor guy. Yeah. I, well, I think whoever named the squirrel should be canceled. I mean, this is just highly <laughs> offensive to me that they could call a squirrel fat. You it's know, offensive I mean, to Cajuns, for sure. Yeah. Maybe he identifies as a thin squirrel. Have you ever considered that? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You could be hurting his feelings, and then you're completely... And totally, totally out of whack. He would, he would, he, I'm sure he would go well in maybe some kind of dish, Cajun dish, you know? Mm. What do you, what's the yeah. dish where, where we eat squirrel? Is there any specific squirrel Anything, dish? Anything, I think. Make a gravy out of that. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. He wouldn't survive in Ville Platte for sure. I mean, <laughs> Fatty well, McFatterson. Uh, all those Ville Platte folk, they're probably going to shut down school and work and go over there, right? Fly go get over Fatty there and McFatterson, go get them. Yeah. I mean, the one reason to not hunt squirrels is because they're so small. But I mean, if they get big like that, I mean, I'm all in. <laughs> this is like know, a small like, dog. Hey, you yeah. know? So anyway, uh, yeah, well, that's pretty funny. Uh, I haven't heard that, so so that's good. So Carlo's in town um, and uh, sort of arranged some time to be with us in the studio, and uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, your books are awesome, and you can tell us a little bit more about some of those things. And uh, But we do this segment on the show um, called Weird Catholic Stuff, okay? What? You're kidding me! That's unbelievable! Weird Catholic stuff! If you could see Carlos' face <laughs> as Adam was doing that live, he's like, is this really happening right now? Okay, <laughs> That was so, pretty well done, man. Good job. Yeah, isn't that impressive? For a, like a couple of seconds there before I turned over, I had to figure out if this was live or if it was pre-recorded. <laughs> Well done. Carlos just looking at him like, wait, he's losing his mind right now. Okay, so for this segment, for weird Catholic stuff, you're unprepared for this, but I'm going to ask you a question, okay? And as part of this segment, you're going to respond to the answer to the question. 
Okay. Okay. So you actually were doing one of your talks at your parish mission on Eucharistic miracles. Yeah. Correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. So for weird Catholic stuff, what is, of the Eucharistic miracles that you know of and share and talk on, Yeah. what is one of the craziest, strangest, weirdest of those miracles that you know about? Yeah, so I mean, I haven't studied them all, so I can only speak from the ones that I've recently gone yeah, over and yeah. prepped for the talk. But there is one interesting fact. So it's not a, a it's not a confirmed miracle; it's an alleged miracle. The Eucharistic alleged Eucharistic miracle of Buenos Aires, okay, which occurred in 1996. Now, when you say alleged, is it still you know the church goes through a whole series of sure. investigation? Is that sure. still the, the case? The investigations have been done, but um, it sort of got it just. No further investigations have been done on it. Mm -hmm. And it was under, actually, then Cardinal uh, Jorge Bergoglio, now Pope Francis. He was the one who uh, called for the investigation of the alleged miracle. And from 1999 all the way to uh, 2004, I think 2004 was the last investigation, by one named Dr. Zugabi out of New York. And um, well, well-renowned uh, scientists and forensic guy, and looking under the microscope of the samples that was presented to him on video, you can actually watch this online. Uh, the investigative team had the camera rolling, and he is talking while he's looking and saying, "Yeah, this is uh, from a particular valvular region of the heart, heart tissue from this particular region," and he's seeing white blood cells that are living and active. And one report, not in the video, but in another source, in recording Dr. Zigabee's words, saying that the sample was actually pulsating. Whoa. So, so, so that's pretty weird. Okay, so let, <laughs> that's pretty cool. let me backtrack a little bit so we uh, maybe build around this. So with this miracle, did they find? Did they drop a host, or did the host? Yeah, they start found. They found the host. That they found the host uh, on a candlestick in the back of church. Okay. The priests there at the parish in Buenos Aires, uh, Father Pizet is his last name, put the host in a vessel of water. Okay. And then, like, I think maybe a week later when they opened, put it in the tabernacle. And when a week later when they opened it, they found that the host had changed into what looked like some sort of tissue okay. substance with some red stuff in there. And then put it back in the tabernacle a week later. The host had changed even more to where there was no more host, and it was only this dark-looking, fleshly, fleshy substance uh, with what looked and appeared to be blood with it. And so they actually kept it, and then they put it in a tube, test tube of water, distilled water, and they kept it for three years. We don't know the reasons why they left it for three years. That's unexplained in the documentation. But then in... 1999 is when the scientific investigations began, and they brought it to multiple scientists to look at it under a microscope in multiple different areas. A doctor, a scientist in San Francisco, um, uh, Dr. Linoli, who was actually the doctor who studied the Miracle of Lanciano sample, and then they took it to three different scientists in Australia uh, who looked at it as well. And across all of those investigations, at least looking under the microscope, they all affirmed from what they saw under the microscope, active living white blood cells in the sample. There's a little discrepancy of some said it looked like human skin. The other said it looks like, you know, muscle tissue. But all of them said living white blood cells. It's all flesh. Like everyone said it was flesh. So you're telling me uh, uh, a wafer, a host that was consecrated at mass was found 
put in water, which is, you know, yep. uh, uh, protocol, you know. If That's you right, for, a, it, for it to dissolve, yeah. correct. And then it turns to flesh. And it turns to what appears to be flesh and what appears to be flesh under a microscope, correct. Now, unfortunately for that particular miracle, uh, they didn't do any further lab tests on the sample to confirm in lab, in a laboratory, that it was actually human flesh. So those uh, tests were not performed on that. We don't know the reasons why they didn't submit it for that. Um, but the scientists at least are uh, uh, sharing what they saw under a microscope. And so it's, you know, we're relying upon the testimony of these scientists, of course, uh, but they're all legit scientists, you know, and telling us what they saw. So it's interesting stuff. So that's Buenos Aires. And of course, you know, the miracle of Lanciano is the same stuff. Dr. Linode ran some tests. He saw under the microscope, same thing, muscle tissue, tested the blood. And when Dr. Linoli tests the blood from the miracle of Lanciano, which is a miracle that dates all the way back to AD 700, uh, the electrophoresis test that they perform, which is testing the sample of the alleged blood with fresh human blood, and the, what he came out in the result of the test is that the sample was matching exactly fresh human blood. Like he's getting the same results in the test that he would with fresh human blood. That's wild. Yeah, so that's some crazy stuff. Such that led some scientists who looked at the report and said, no, that's too good to be true. I don't believe it. <laughs> you know. Uh, but what's interesting is that you have the Miracle of Lanciano sample being concluded by Dr. Linoli to be muscle tissue from a particular area of the heart. And then Dr. Zugabi looking at the sample from Buenos Aires, concluding that it's from a, the same area of the human heart, right? And so that's some interesting stuff. Then what's really crazy, there was one in 2008 from Sokolko, Poland, where when the two scientists there, when they examined the sample, they concluded as well, and we have their report, that it's muscle tissue, cardiac tissue. They concluded that on an objective level like this is cardiac tissue but then what's really cool about that and here's where it just blows your mind what they found in their uh, analysis was that the fibers of the muscle tissue that they could see were interwoven with the fibers of the host that was still uh, available like it didn't oh. entirely turn into flesh that's crazy so you had a little bit of the host left over but the fibers of the host were interabsorbed and woven with the fibers of the cardiac tissue and wow. so this led the scientists to conclude in their report this excludes any alternative explanation of fraud and they go on to say something like i'm paraphrasing here you know the scientists in nasa with all of the technological advancements and at their disposal they could not even produce such a such an effect and so that's a pretty prof that's a profound uh, miracle as well. So Kalko Poland, two thousand eight, and this is all documented in some degree uh, in the book, the Eucharistic Miracles of the World. These three Eucharistic miracles that I just explained, some weird stuff going on, right? <laughs> um, is found in that book, at least in summary form. Yeah, that reminds me. We just had um, our Lady Guadalupe's day, and like even today, the best scientists in the world can't explain. How what's this, going on there? What's happening right now? Not just what happened in the 1500s, but right now, if you examine it, we can't explain it. And, uh, you know, living in a world of today where supposedly science leads the way, you know, let's trust the science we hear all the time. Like you brought up this idea that scientists just dismiss these kinds of findings. Um, how do you explain that kind of phenomenon, right? Like when we actually do the scientific work on miracles and we can't explain it, 
why is it so easily dismissed by some? Well, often they, they're going to, first of all, you can bring your own philosophical presuppositions or worldview, right? If you're, if you assume that God does not exist and you encounter the data, then you're going to interpret the data based upon that assumption, right? So if God does not exist, then no miracle is possible. I encounter this alleged miracle and I'm going to conclude, well, it's not a miracle because God doesn't exist, right? Mm. If God does exist, then miracles are possible. And then it's a matter of assessing the credibility of the testimony to see if it's in fact a miracle. So you're going to have some sort of philosophical worldview that you're bringing to the data as you an uh, analyze it, right? Now, for some, the data could lead to a change in their worldview if they're open to it, right? And approaching, I, like, I approach the data. I don't think God exists. I don't have any evidence for God's existence, right? I approach the data. I see the data. I analyze it. And I conclude that there's no naturalistic explanation. And then I might change my mind and say, well, this is evidence that God exists. Perhaps somebody could um, do that. So I think, yeah, it's a matter of, you know, being honest with what sort of assumptions we're bringing to uh, the table when we're going to analyze the data. Yeah, and I think the beauty of the church is that we don't discredit science. That's right. You know, like science, you know, faith, reason all come together to give us a greater understanding of God. It's not something we run from, you know, particularly right. as Catholics, you know, you might find in other streams of uh, Christianity, it's like, you know, oh, we don't want to uncover too much because it might, and we're like, let's embrace it. Let's embrace sure. the science, the research. It's the same author. He wrote the book of nature. He wrote the book inspired exactly. in, in sacred scripture. So I'm, all, I'm always like, yeah, dig further, That's you know, right. like gather more information, do yeah. more research because it's only going to continue to reveal more yeah. of God. Yeah, and, and the grander. Right? Amen. And one one more thing. This is the uh, another thought that I had in response to your question, Adam, was with regard to science. Can only, you know, when you're looking at it from a scientific scientific perspective, it cannot lead you to the conclusion this effect is brought about by divine power. Science can only lead you to that doorstep and saying there is no natural explanation for this effect, and then you have to make an inference from that to what's going to be the explanation for the effect, mm -hmm. right? So you're going to have to postulate some sort of cause. So somebody could very well follow the science to that doorstep and say, well, this is just a mystery of the universe, right? And not be willing to go any further to make some sort of inference to a cause. Or you could make the inference to a cause and say, yeah, this is an effect that can only be brought about by divine power. And I guess that's kind of the trap of scientism is that if you get to that moment, I could always just say, well, we just don't know enough science yet to explain it, but one day we might. Right, that I'd would, rather just and, and stick to that. That and so that would be one possible um, alternative that they could rely on, and so that's why it's important for us that whenever we're analyzing an alleged miracle, to make sure that the effect is in principle in principle cannot come from a natural cause, mm -hmm. because. If in principle it could maybe come from a natural cause, then that answer would be reasonable and intelligible. But when you come to some things like bread and then now human flesh, that is something that cannot be explained by any natural causation because bread has no potentiality, no potency within it, right, to become human flesh. Like a corpse doesn't have any potential within it, right, to all of a sudden now have life. Um, 
so like like a bone has a potential to heal itself over a period of time, right? Mm-hmm. A corpse doesn't have potential over a period of time to come back to life. So if it does come back to life, there's something uh, bring giving it life beyond anything within the natural world. And so we could reasonably conclude that's a miracle that you, you have evidence of divine power working here. Or in the case of bread becoming human flesh, I think that's a good example. That's crazy and weird. All right, we're going to take a break <laughs> and we're going to come back with Deacon Adam and Carlo Broussard. Be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you today. Thanks for listening in on the podcast, wherever you are, or on the radio here at KLFT Radio in Acadiana, the best place to live in the world, by the way. Speaking of, we got Carlo Broussard, who is from this area, back visiting, doing parish missions, seeing your family, eating good but food. But not living but in not the best living. place in the world. But you are thinking, man, I could sell my house in California <laughs> and move down here and get a nice place. Uh, the thought has crossed my mind. I don't know if the uh, the, the wonderful wife will go for that. Probably but. not. <laughs> I mean, imagine housing is a little less expensive here than back there. Yeah, a little bit. And plus, I mean, you live outside of San Diego. The weather's pretty good there year-round. Indeed it is. You know. Summer, where I live north of San Diego, inland, the summers get pretty pretty hot. It can get up to 115 and stuff, you know. So we got a couple of months in the summer where it gets brutal. Uh, the humidity, of course, is not bad, you know. Right. They got some humidity, but it's not too bad. Did you say 115? Mm-hmm. That yeah. is pretty hot. But it's yeah. dry. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's not too, too dry, but, you know, there's a, some humidity there. But it's it's bearable. Once you get past those two months, then it's, I mean, man, I mean, literally shorts and flip-flops. Year-round. Year-round, That's dude. crazy. It's awesome. <laughs> I know. I, I know. actually enjoy it. I enjoy the sunshine, man. I, I, I got to get my vitamin D. So yeah, I know. appreciate it. That's good. For those of you guys uh, who are familiar with Carlo, he works for Catholic Answers, got a radio show, multiple books. If you're not, he's from this area, which is cool, visiting, doing parish mission in town, and then travels around speaking. And uh, it's good to see you, man. We, we yeah, got to hang to out you, before yeah. the show and grab lunch and catch up and uh, you and Adam go way back. You know, I don't know what y'all did back in the day when y'all were young. <laughs> no, we met. Uh, you were still here in Crowley. Yes, working at it was the year no. before we left Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Okay, where God uh, made our paths cross, and we became really good friends. Sorted our friendship, and it was so weird. It's one of those moments where you find a kindred spirit. God gives you this best friend, and then he like zip, he pulls you out. Yeah. You know, it's like what the heck going on here, man? You know, <laughs> finally found a really good friend, and then we got to move. <laughs> and uh, we've just been staying in touch ever since. You yeah, know? you know, it was funny is when you're from Louisiana uh, and you run into someone from Louisiana. You know, it's just like your family. You right. know, mm-hmm. I, and it was I don't know how many years ago I was giving a talk in Washington State, and you were living there at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I knew. I knew you. But I didn't, I didn't even know you were living there. Right. And you, and we ran into each other. Yeah. 
And it was just like, yeah, you know, it was just like, yeah. I mean, I'm in Washington state. I know no one, no one cares about me there, you know, and I'm running to Carlo like he's my long lost brother. You know? right. It's like, yeah, let's eat. Yeah. You know? In fact, check this out. So I just went to a mission a couple of weeks ago in Fredericksburg, Texas. Yeah. And there was a, a gal there, a lady there uh, who had retired there from New Iberia. Uh-huh. And she was like, I'm a Broussard, maiden name Broussard from New Iberia. She comes and introduces herself. I was like, dude, what? Yeah. And so she was like, what are you doing for, uh, for, for dinner tonight or for lunch tomorrow? And I was like, I ain't got anything on the schedule. She's like, come on over. I'll cook you some gumbo. I got some gumbo. Man, <laughs> dude, let me tell you all something. This woman blew it out the water, man. She knocked it out the park. She cooked some gumbo along with some... Uh, crawfish, crab, and shrimp fettuccine, man. Oh, wow. And, dude, it was so freaking good. It was amazing. You got your carb wow. load, huh? <laughs> I come to find out she was like a cordon bleu chef or something, somebody told wow. me. Wow. I assume that's like big-time stuff. So Awesome. Okay, so um, you have three <laughs> books out going on your fourth. Give us an overview of the books you have. Yeah, sure. So the first book that came out is called Prepare the Way, mm-hmm. Overcoming Obstacles to God, the Gospel, and the Church. And basically what I do in that book is coach you in strategies to try to help atheists, agnostics, skeptics to Christianity and Catholicism um, to overcome intellectual obstacles hmm. that may impede them from encountering the Lord who's calling them. Hmm. Uh, so how can um, how can I be- and I start off with relativism as well? How can there be such a thing as absolute truth when people believe so many different things? For example, how can I believe in God when there's so much evil in the world? When I experience suffering in my life, type of thing? How can I believe in Jesus when I can't even trust the Gospels, right? Mm-hmm. Because they were written so many years after the fact that Jesus lived or whatever. Uh, when it comes to the church, you know, how can I believe in the church when the church, say, is against women or something? Sort of these sorts of obstacles. Mm-hmm. So I coach you in strategies to overcome, to help someone overcome those obstacles. Now, my second book is called Meeting the Protestant Challenge, mm-hmm. How to Answer 50 Biblical Objections to Catholic Beliefs. And the challenge takes the form, how can the church teach X when the Bible says Y? So the old challenge was, where's that in the Bible, right? Well, we have plenty of books that answer that question. But uh, many Protestants will pose objections that, you know, the church says this, but the Bible says that. There seems to be a contradiction. Mm -hmm. So a classic example, how can the church teach Mary was a perpetual virgin when the Bible says Jesus had brothers? So that's sort of the form that the challenge takes, and I I go through 50 Mm -hmm. biblical objections that take this particular form and then teach you how to meet that challenge. And, or how to interpret the scripture That's correctly, correct. yeah. right? That's correct. Because in meeting the challenge, of course, you're going to be offering, you know, you're going to be offering positive exegesis of the text that's being referred to, to say, here's how we ought to read the text. Mm-hmm. And then also positive biblical evidence for our Catholic beliefs as well. So it sort of knocks two birds down with one stone. Yeah, Marianne, my wife, is reading that right now. And oh, that's cool. What, that's what she appreciates about it is a, um, I mean, it's really a, a biblical book. Right. It's, it, it's great yeah. for Bible study. Right. You know, and my third book, uh, this came out a year ago. It was actually a year in September. Purgatory is for real. Good news about the afterlife for those who aren't perfect yet. Hmm. So the main <laughs> title is sort of addresses or encaptures the apologetics aspect of the book of defending the Catholic doctrine of purgatory from a historical perspective in early Christian testimony, 
from the magisterial perspective in church teaching, and then, of course, from a scriptural perspective. And then in various parts within the book, I have sections where I explain a particular joyful truth about the doctrine of purgatory, which constitutes the good news about purgatory. So, for example, it provides consolation for believers. There are joys about purgatory that go beyond the joys of this life, joys that we cannot possibly experience in this life, but a soul can experience in the final purification that we call purgatory. And then how the doctrine of purgatory actually can inspire us in the pursuit of holiness. So those are three joyful truths that constitute the good news about the church's teaching on purgatory. It's not all bad stuff, as everybody tends to think. Yeah, last week, or last episode, we talked about anxiety, and kind of the rise of anxiety, and mm, interesting. these kinds of things. And I, you know, I, being a deacon now, and working with um, folks for burials, funerals, or, you know, a dying loved one, I have a much better appreciation of the peace that the reality of purgatory can bring to people, right. especially when they just lost someone, or are fixing to lose someone. Um, because anxiety comes when, like, we, we feel like there's nothing we can do, right? There's just, like, yeah. I don't know what to do. But when I know, you know, my loved one is gone, but I can continue to have a relationship with them, and, and I should be praying for them. And that's right. the thing. Like, what do I do now? What do I do for grandma or grandpa or my brother or my sister now that they've gone? Well, the church gives us something very clear to do. Pray for them every Mass. Pray for them on All Souls Day. That's you know, right. it, it keeps a connection to them that's active and that helps, I think, bring peace to, to a relationship that could be very, you know, uh, anxious. Is like, I don't know what happened to them. Yeah, that's exactly what I point out in that section where it provides consolation for believers, mm-hmm. that we can know the relationship continues. Of course, we know it would continue if they're in heaven, but also, let's say... Paul Paul was not the most perfect guy in the world, but I know he was in friendship with Jesus, right? Well, it provides us hope to know that, you know, he was not bad enough to merit damnation, not quite good enough to immediately enter into heaven. So the relationship can continue, right? And as you pointed out, there's something we can do by offering acts of love on their behalf and praying for them, which in turn is an act of love for God and, you know, increases our own holiness. So, amen, absolutely. Okay, so... um Usually the final segment of the show, we do a six thing called a six-pack of questions, Carlo. But uh, since it's the holidays coming What's up— What's a six-pack? I don't drink, man. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're from Louisiana. You grew up knowing what a six-pack is. Uh, but Dr. Pepper, it could be a six-pack of Dr. <laughs> no, Pepper. No, they drink like Poirier sparkling water or something. <laughs> I, I hate I sparkling water. <laughs> I do not drink that stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know— I'm not that Californian <laughs> yet. <laughs> My avocado wrap and my sparkling water. <laughs> cucumber melon water? Is that what you have? Yeah, we're going back actually, to Actually, I don't mind cucumber yeah. water, man. That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> we're going back to your Louisiana day. So we're, gonna, we're actually going to do a 12-pack of questions at least for uh, this segment. Pop a top. Question. Again. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you got in on that. I love <laughs> yeah. it. Sorry, man. I had to... <laughs> little, little country country music. Okay, so we're gonna, you know, just kind of go back and forth on some questions while we have you here. Uh, you, you know, your books sound, you know, amazing, and and what you covered. But you work with Catholic Answers, and you're an apologist. I mean, that's your your mission, your gift. Yeah. You know, and, and what you do. So it's it's really cool. Um, so first question, um, I'm gonna throw it out to you is 
you know, you, your last book you wrote is on purgatory, which is, you know, I would encourage people to get that because it's kind of one of those teachings where I would say the majority of Catholics that I talk to don't fully understand the teaching on purgatory, which is right. fine. It's not, you, know, you don't hear homilies about it. Yeah. You don't grow up reading about it, you know, but it's this thing of like, oh, I'm Catholic. We have purgatory. And, and then someone who's not Catholic is like, well, what does that mean? And they're like, I don't know. It's sort of like, I thought I hit a home run and I ended up at second base the rest of my life, you know? <laughs> right. So the teaching on purgatory, is that a infallible teaching of the church? Is it something that we have to or should be believe as Catholics? And just give us a snippet on, on what that is. Yes. Yeah, so to answer your question, is it infallible? Is it an infallible teaching? The answer is yes. So that would require from us what the church calls firm and definitive assent, which means if we make a positive act of the will to say no to it as a Catholic and reject it, that is a grave, serious matter, hmm. that if committed with full knowledge and deliberate consent, that would constitute a mortal effect in the soul, namely charity would cease to exist. So this is a teaching that we must hold to. Now, it is not taught as divinely revealed, right? That would be the highest form of teaching, which would require what we call uh, uh, Catholic and div divine and Catholic faith. So it's a different kind of ascent. Uh, but nevertheless, it is infallible. So that means it is without error, and it is something that the church could never at some time in the future come along and say, Thus saith God, purgatory is not real. We're changing right? that teaching. Yeah, God would ensure that that teaching would not change if it were to be presented with all of the conditions being met for an infallible teaching, right? And we that's in the weeds and stuff there. I mean, could the Pope on an airplane or, you know, in a non-infallible way say, yeah, I don't believe in purgatory, it's not real? Yeah, that, that's possible, right? But that doesn't change. That, that doesn't invoke the charism yeah. of infallibility. Gotcha. So, so it is infallible, and the, the, the teaching was raised to the level of infallibility in the 15th century at the Council of Florence, where it was taught in, in, in an infallible way and then reaffirmed in an infallible way again in the 16th century at the Council of Trent. So I, point, I, I, I explain all of that in my book and give the reasons why we should say these are infallible teachings at these councils. Now, as to what purgatory is, basically, the Catechism of the Catholic Church gives a really nice, succinct definition in paragraphs 1030 to 1031, where we can kind of collect what the Catechism says there and offer a succinct definition as it is a post-mortem final purification for the souls of those who die in friendship with Christ and thus are guaranteed salvation but nevertheless who have not achieved the perfect holiness necessary for immediate entrance into the beatific vision. So post-mortem, after death, final purification of the elect, only those souls in purgatory or those souls that are guaranteed heaven. So salvation is secure. But they have not achieved the perfect holiness necessary for the beatific vision. So whatever remnants of sin are remaining, and there's a variety of them, those remnants of sin must be purged because nothing defiled can enter into the holy presence of God in the beatific vision. Hmm. Nice. And so, that's Revelation 21. Yeah, and that's a good overview of the book. I mean, if you want to dig deeper into that, you know, you got to get the book and kind of because, you know, you can go on. But it's worth, so. worth getting. All right, question number two. So we started the episode talking about Fatty McFatterson, the squirrel. <laughs> yeah, I was highly offended, Maine, by the way. <laughs> who's, who's a big boy. Um, if you were going to become 
Fatty McCarlison on some food item mm. that you would just gorge yourself on until you became like the squirrel. What food item would that be? I got it. You didn't even have to think. Costco frozen pizza. Really? The little ones, not the big ones. Uh-huh. Not the big ones. But those little ones, you know? Yeah. The mini ones? The, yeah, not the mini, mini ones. They're like just, I don't know what's the, the name of them. Yeah. yeah it, <laughs> my wife gets them all the time for the kids. I'm telling you, that pizza, bro, is the best <laughs> in the world. When I eat, now I can't eat a lot, right? So I just eat, a, I eat one little piece just to satisfy my taste buds because I'm trying to be healthy and stuff. But, but man, when I take a bite of that son of a gun, <laughs> you know how the eyes roll back and you just go, ah. <laughs> That's good to know. Man, of all, of all the things, yeah. you know. I thought you would trace it back to your Louisiana days. No, and, I got to no. say, the, the Costco, <laughs> pizza. Costco pizza. <laughs> man, we should get a sponsorship from And my favorite yeah. kind of drink is like Kool-Aid, man. I love Kool-Aid. <laughs> so, you're like a kid. I know. Kool-Aid and pizza. I mean, like what what kid in the Unless world you become like a child, you can't enter has kingdom, not you know? just now, you know, Googled your book, you know, whatever kid's like, I like that guy. Kool-Aid. <laughs> he speaks my language. Kool-Aid yeah, I always tell people. The only way I can drink wine or any sort of alcoholic beverage, because I'm not a big alcoholic beverage guy, but the only way I can drink it is if it tastes like Kool-Aid. There you go. <laughs> if it tastes like Kool-Aid, I got to be careful. Sangria. Indeed, <laughs> yes. That's about the only thing of alcoholic nature I can drink. Every now and then I like these like frozen um, alcoholic beverages, like the frozen, I don't know, maybe a frozen margarita or something. Yeah, something or, like that. Man, I went on a cruise one time and they had this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I got it for for supper, and it was so darn good, man. I couldn't taste the alcohol at all. <laughs> and after sucking that son of a thing, son of a gun down, I realized, like, man, I need to be careful here. Yeah, I yeah. forgot that it, that alcohol it tastes it, like Kool Aid, man. That's, that's where they get you. That's that is where they get you. Okay, question three. Yeah. Um. So, for for you know, folks out there, it. With infallible teachings of the church, right? It's like, mm-hmm. hey, this is dogma. This is yeah. what the church teaches. Is it okay to to have faith in that teaching, but to wrestle with it? You to struggle with believing in it and still be Catholic. You know, in a sense, we have some tough teachings that you're just like, man, that's really hard. I'm trying to understand it, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say yes, but I don't really. You know, is that you know pastorally? How do you coach someone through that? Yeah, well, you have to draw a distinction between someone wrestling with understanding it and obstinate doubt of it. So if you like have if it's like just not sitting well and you just can't see it and you're not understanding it, but you make an act of the will Mm -hmm. and of the intellect to assent to it and say, yes, I believe it. This is true. Then that's fine. But if I make a positive act of the will guided by my intellect to say, this is false, then that's a grave, serious matter. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, and God will hold me accountable based upon the reasons why I'm making that intellectual judgment, this is false, and thereby rejecting it by my will, right? And God will hold me accountable based upon for whatever reasons. I might be responsible for that judgment, false, and then rejecting it, or I might not be responsible. There might be some mitigating factors going on or something in my analysis of it. So God takes all of that into into consideration. Uh, So we have to distinguish between wrestling with it, not quite sitting well, but I believe it, it is true, and then saying, no, this is false, this is ridiculous, I'm rejecting it. And that's why there's apologists, and we have all these teachings and writings, and 
books in the church where it's like if there's a teaching that you're like, man, that's really hard to understand and believe. I am wrestling with it. I want yeah. I want to know more. Right. Then what I would encourage people is, you know, get to know more so you can really understand to that be teaching. At peace, yeah. yeah, to be at peace and to and to just fully just have faith in it. Yeah, because you know? when you come to see the rationale behind the teaching and you come to discover not only what is real, but why it is real, right? The reality of things. Uh, there's a legitimate happiness that flows from that, right? Not, you know, we mentioned the peace that we're going to have in our hearts, but there's a delight. When the, when the intellect comes to know reality and comes to know what is true, there's a legitimate satisfaction because that's what it's made for. So there's going to be a real delight within the soul for the person when they come to know why the church teaches what it does and understanding the rationale behind it. So for our own happiness, it's important that we pursue the church's teaching further to understand the rationale behind it. But, and then also, too, to be able to share that with others in conversation, to be able to articulate what the church teaches and why she teaches it, to help others see the beauty of that truth and of that reality and have them conform their own hearts and minds to our Lord. Sweet. All right, question number four. Um, so meeting the Protestant challenge, obviously a lot of Catholics like to read about why the Catholic faith is right in compared to other traditions or, or Protestant challenges. But tell me, do Protestants enjoy that too? I mean, have you heard from Protestants on the radio or, or responding to your book that they're interested in this challenge as well? They want to find out and... You know, is, is it something that resonates with them when they actually see the scriptural uh, text or any of their hearts changed? Well, our hearts changed. The answer is yes. We get emails and letters galore at Catholic Answers. And ev literally everywhere I go to speak, without fail, there's two or three people who come up and say, Catholic Answers has changed my life. I was of this wow. religious tradition. Catholic Answers. I discovered Catholic Answers, began reading their material and it, it changed my life, and now I'm a Catholic, right? So the answer to that question is yes. Uh, so, and of course, I guess that would lead to answering the first question you posed, do they enjoy it? And I think would, the answer would be yes, based upon their conversion. Mm. But even for those Protestants who do not convert or who have not yet converted and decided to become Catholic, uh, I mean, Protestants who are engaged in their theology indeed do enjoy it. I mean, there's tons of Protestant apologists out there who produce material combating Catholic beliefs, right, and going toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, what we say and the arguments we present. And they mount, I might say, formidable responses, counter-arguments to the arguments that we give, which in their mind gives them reasonable justification to remain Protestant. At the end of the day, their counter-arguments are going to fail but at least in their mind, they have a justification for remaining Protestant in the face of Catholic arguments, such that we should not be going around as Catholics saying, all oh, those Protestants, they're just closed-minded and hard-headed or something, right? Mm. No, many have been formed in these formidable responses to be able to look at Matthew 16, 18, where Peter is the rock, and say, yeah, Catholics have been tooting that horn for a long time, but it's, it's flawed, right? It's not sound. And here are the reasons why. And I'm glad you brought this up, because that's a great segue to my next book, <laughs> uh, the next book, the book that I've written and working on right now, is called "Meeting the Protestant Response." So, looking at the classic Catholic arguments that we have given for our beliefs, and then seeing how Protestants 
counter those arguments? How do they respond to the arguments that we've been given all of these giving all of these years? Mm-hmm. And then of course teaching you how to counter their counter, rebut their rebuttal, respond to their response sort of thing to show why their Protestant responses ultimately fail. And thus we can see that the Catholic argument is still standing. It's still a sound argument that we can give to justify our Catholic beliefs. And that's coming out by Catholic Answers uh, Press uh, spring of 2022. Sweet. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for listening in on the podcast or on the radio, KLFT Radio here in Acadiana or on the podcast wherever you are. Good show today, man. We got uh, Carlo Broussard from Catholic Answers actually in studio, not calling in as a guest. He's in town, Louisiana. And, of course, the world-famous deacon, the most famous deacon in the studio. <laughs> this is fun stuff. It's so good to have you, Carlo. Oh, it's great to be here, man. I'm, I'm having a blast. Yeah, we kind of uh, – we're in the six-pack of questions, and I forget. I think we're on question five by now. But, um, you know, we might only get to six, you know, uh, as part of the show. So it's good. Good discussion happening. You know, what I have found, Carlo, because I'm going to kind of go from the last question from the last segment when you're talking about, you know, your fourth book that's coming out, which is the rebuttal of – you know, Protestant responses to Catholic teachings and, and how to, you know, dialogue in that and have, you know, a sure. response to that. And, you know, in my life, I have I have a lot of Protestant friends and, you know, good friends. I mean, brothers and sisters. And, um, you know, to be able to have really good conversations and, and healthy dialogue, you That's know, right. instead of like this this hate or this division. And what, what encouragement would you give folks in a sense to— Continue this healthy friendship and, and relationship with people who aren't Catholic, who are Protestant. We share a lot in common, although right. we might believe dogmatically some things that are that are very different. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thought that comes to mind, Paul, is that I have found it to be the case that when I encounter a Protestant person who really loves the Lord, mm. we actually have more in common than. Many of my Catholic brothers and sisters, right, and Catholics in the pew sitting by me on Sunday, right? Because whenever you encounter a Protestant who really loves the Lord and you yourself have encountered the Lord in that intimacy, Mm -hmm. you mean that's something that you can rejoice in and share with that Protestant friend, you know? And that's a great good. That's a delight. You know, I've had that experience several times where I'm meeting a Protestant or chatting with a Protestant, and it's like, they feel they feel I feel more at home with them than I do, unfortunately, with and that's a kind Catholic of kind of the, the starting point I often yeah. have with with my friends or Protestant is like, hey, we both love Jesus. That's right, a lot. Yeah, and I know you're probably thinking me as a Catholic, you have never heard a Catholic even say that that they love Jesus, right? So let's the common ground is that we're in love with the same Lord, right? right. So if we have some differences, let's dialogue about that. And and yeah. but but at the end of the day. You know, we're we're 
we're you know we're, we're part of the same team. You know, and even theologically, the church affirms that any baptized, validly baptized Christian is a member of the mystical body of Christ. Right. We're, we're, they're separated if they're denying vis- certain truths of the faith and outside the visible boundaries of the church. They're separated, but yet we call them brethren. And so that's a good starting point, that we are brothers, literally. Yeah, right? and I think where I— And sisters, personally, for you sisters out there. I'm not a sister. Where I personally kind of <laughs> feel tension and have a problem is when I encounter a Christian, a non-Catholic Christian, who's um, trying to evangelize and pull a Catholic away from the faith. Sure. You know, and, and what your book's doing is equipping those folks to be able to argue that the Catholic faith and why they're Catholic, right? And to, right. And to, to be able to say, no, 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 I'm not leaving the faith, you know, because you're trying to convince me, you know, and— that's where it gets tense. It's like, uh, you know, you know, for me, it's like, no, just, just leave, leave them alone. <laughs> well, which brings me to question six related. Um, is this kind of apologetical path of meeting Protestant challenges and then the rebuttals? Is it anti-ecumenical? Like, is it, is it against, mm, good question, yeah. is it against the idea of, of a unity with, with these people or how does that work? You know? Uh, the answer, the short answer is no, it is not ecumenical, because the only way it would not be ecumenical is if you already assume incum- ecumenism entails that there is no truth that we must all conform ourselves to. Mm-hmm. So if you have a proper understanding of ecumenism, as presented to us by the Second Vatican Council, that in no way involves denying the truth of Jesus, nor the truth of his church that he established, in which subsists the fullness of the means of salvation, right? Mm -hmm. That's a truth that we hold on to in our ecumenical dialogue. The ecumenical dialogue is meant for us to find the common ground, which establishes the friendship, brings down the psychological barriers. We no longer look at the other, the person across the table as an enemy or as a foe, but literally as a brother, right, with whom we engage in a dialogue to look at our disagreements. And from the Catholic perspective, first, we want to listen and hear their view and affirm what is true and what is not true, we seek in our, with charity to persuade them of the truth, right? Ecumenical dialogue does not demand that you leave at the doorstep the idea of persuasion to the truth. That's not true ecumenism because then you're denying our Lord, right? I mean, if you're thinking that I don't need to persuade someone to the truth of Catholicism, then what you're basically saying is I don't need to persuade someone to the truth of Jesus because the Catholicism is the fullness of what Jesus gave us. So to deny use of the gift and delight in the gift is to deny the gift giver. And so ecumenism has to involve a desire for someone to come to know the truth, but also at the same time to recognize we have to be able to listen to those that we're disagreeing with in order to have a proper understanding of what their view is, not just for the sake of, that's your view, I got my view, but for the sake of further dialogue to convince them to the fullness of the truth and pointing out the ways in which they fall short of the truth. So that's how I would answer that question. Yeah, and true ecumenism, it, you know, it's a it's a calling for us to be true and authentic to who we are, right, Amen. and to our faith. Like not to deny, like you said, leave part of us at the door so we don't offend the other, right? 
but true friendship is being fully who you are. It's like, Amen. here I am. Here's my faith. Here's what I believe. And, you know, I encounter that a lot, honestly, with Catholics, you know, is like, like living out the fullness of the Catholic faith. A lot of times other Catholics are like, what? Right. Right. What are you doing? It's seen as judgmental you even. Or, mm-hmm. You know, like, because there's, there's just such this misunderstanding about so many teachings of the Catholic Church within our own faith, right? Like, Amen. And so I, I feel like I'm, at times I'm, I'm more uh, evangelizing my own Catholic brethren by being authentically who I am than I am any, anyone else. That's right. You know, whether that's whatever teaching it is, teaching on heaven, purgatory, theology of the body, you know, birth control, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's this constant, like, sort of yeah. like, wait, what? You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what Catholics actually believe. You Catholic? Yeah, I didn't even know that, you know? And right. so, and you guys spend a lot of time at Catholic Answers. I mean, your, your mission and apostolate is teaching. Right. It is teaching the faith in all sorts of different ways and dynamics, answering these questions, but explaining them, you know, in a way that, that helps people really grow in their faith. So for, for those folks out there, who don't know much about Catholic Answers or you or where to find your books or y'all's resources, can you point us in that direction? Yeah, so our website is catholic.com. Easy enough for you. Yeah, y'all own that, man. <laughs> Amen, brother. When the internet was fixing to come out, our founder, Carl Keating, he grabbed it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> and our, our, our online store is shop.catholic.com. So all of our resources that we have for sale that we've published through our press – it's available at shop.catholic.com. We also have a Catholic Answer School of Apologetics with several courses that have been produced already that you can uh, purchase. You sign up for You go online, listen, watch the videos, go through the questions, right? Got a workbook, PDF that goes with it and all that fun stuff. Uh, we also have a speaking ministry. So if anybody's ever interested in bringing myself out to speak or one of my other colleagues, uh, fellow apologists at Catholic Answers, they can go to catholicanswerspeakers.com and fill out the inquiry form there and get in contact with our seminar coordinator. And so we'll go anywhere, everywhere. And like I tell people, if it's I don't care if it's your second grade communion class, I'll go talk to them, baby. <laughs> Man, that is awesome. Uh, in Fredericksburg, Texas, when I went to the mission, it was a delight. I was able to go to their uh, elementary school and talk to the sixth through eighth graders. Man, you're a better man than me. About religion, why should I care? And man, I, I tell you what, I had a blast. It was so much fun. I used to teach seventh and eighth graders when I was working with Father Matthew Higginbotham at Redemptress uh-huh. at Immaculate Mary before I left Louisiana. For five years, I did that and uh, had some challenging times there. They challenged me quite a bit, but I had some sweet moments as well, some good times. And so I'm always looking to uh, be able to chat with teenagers as well. Man. That, that's great. So, I mean, you know, easy enough. I think if you go to catholic.com, you can follow the links and find you, yes, find all, your resources. Yeah, we, we have a, tons of free resources yeah. at catholic.com. Yeah. Yeah. And look, parents of uh, preteen, teenagers, and even younger now, um, your kids are going to wrestle with the faith on an intellectual level earlier than we did. Mm-hmm. Right. They this really are. And so I noticed this being back in the classroom myself um, at a very young age because of society, because of their... They're going to ask and doubt and wonder very young. And Catholic.com and the resources of Catholic Answers are great because there's always short little answers that you can find to every single thing. And y'all could talk about it as a family at the dinner table or something like that. I mean, it's not for children necessarily, but the answers you need to answer your kid are there. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, there was no internet. 
you know, like, so you had to find a book and read it. Right. And, you know, now kids, you know, can get online, find answers. And, sure. you know, I remember years ago, I mean, one of the, a, a book I would hand youth before, you know, they could get online was um, Adam and Eve have belly buttons. Yeah. Right. You remember Matt that book? Pinto, right? Matt Pinto. That was the best it, it was. Yeah. yeah. And it was just a simple <laughs> book, but it was a, it was a question and answer book of all these questions that you would have about the faith as a, as a young person. And, you know, kind of the tagline, Adam and Eve have belly buttons. It's like, God, oh, I didn't know. And it went through and it was just very, yeah. you know, good. It was sort of a simple apologetics and teaching. And, and I actually learned a lot from that book, just, you know, simple answers to these questions right. that, you know, when I was back as a youth minister, kids would ask me these questions. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Let me find the answer, you know. And then I would give them a book and I would just order books like that and things. And now the internet, you know, people can go online, get resources, free resources, right. buy resources, get your books, things like that. So, that's the beauty of the faith. And not only that is like, we have this library of 2000 years of, yeah. you know, Catholicism. Yeah. And I might add for the listeners to check us out, our Catholic Answers Live broadcast, which airs on KOFT 90.5 mm-hmm. from five to seven in the evening. You can listen to our live call-in show, you know, every day for two hours, we have guests Myself, other my fellow apologists at Catholic Answers, and then outside guests outside of Catholic Answers, bishops and theologians and philosophers who go. Paul, you've been on it before, mm-hmm. who go on and take people's calls, at calling in, asking questions. You know, yep. and we have topical shows as well as open Q and A shows, question and answer forums. When well, Carlo's on, you gotta you gotta call him if you're from Lafayette, Cecilia, and I'm always Anderson. welcoming that. It's always Absolute. great to hear from a fellow Cajun. Absolutely. Well, great show, man. Thanks for being a part of the show. And, thanks for having and, uh, me. taking the time. And Amen. thanks, Deacon Adam, uh, for being a part of the show. And everyone on the podcast, feel free to share the show wherever you are. And um, we're just praying for you. And thanks to Kelly for hosting the show.